Again, let me say good morning. I'm going to begin by showing you a picture, and I want you to try and impress your friends if you can guess what this is a picture of. You ready? Here we go. Go ahead. Make your guess now. And uh, you re- if you can get that, I'll be, I'll be impressed. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's, 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 let's zoom out just a little bit. And so um, if everybody would just point to this. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, okay, now now make your guess. This would still be pretty impressive. Anybody? I mean, you can just say it to yourself and no one will know that you didn't get it right. But if you really want to impress your friends, make your guess and say, see, I knew it from the second one. All right. How about one more? Let's zoom out, zoom out a little more. Uh, what about now? Yeah, all right. What about now? Anybody? Yeah? You getting there? Starting to, as you're zooming out, it's becoming a little clear. How about now? Okay, starting to lock in. Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. How about now? How about now? All right, does that help? Does that get you? Right? Everybody clear? Everybody got it? I mean, obviously, right? When you're zoomed in, you look at that. When you're zoomed in, it's impossible to tell what it is. You can't. It's only when you back out, everybody. That's a mousetrap. So clear. I'm just kidding. It's a, it's a door hinge, right? The hinge of a door. So zoomed in, it makes no sense at all. It's only when you zoom out and you get to see it, you go, oh, okay, now I understand. That's, that's a hinge. That's what's happening in Matthew 15. Our text today, Matthew 15, if you're not careful, if, if you zoom all the way in on Matthew 15, not only will the passage not make any sense to you, but if you read, if you read so zoomed in on Matthew 15, on this story that we're going to see today, it's honestly, you're, you're going to think that Jesus was actually rude to someone. That's what it's going to look like. It's not true, but that's what it looks like when you're that zoomed in. It's only when you zoom out do you realize not only was Jesus not being rude in that moment, but in fact, this text today, zoomed in, hard to tell what it is, you can easily misunderstand Jesus, but zoomed out, you realize what we're going to see today may in fact be the hinge upon which not only the whole mission of Jesus and his disciples swings, but it's not too much to say, really, the whole story of salvation and redemptive history swings on this hinge from this story today. It's that important that we get this right. So we're going we're gonna to zoom in on the story, and then we're going to zoom out as broadly as possible to figure out what is going on here. Now let me restate, if you just come into this text, we're going to start in verse 21. It is possible to read this, and it is a little jarring. It's a little shocking. So let's, let's zoom in, and I think you'll see what I mean when I say when you just zoom in without context, you're, you're left going, Jesus, what, what, what are you doing? Look, Matthew 15, 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord. Son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. What? And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What? (laughs) But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, quote, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Let's uncomfortably pause right there. <laughs> Doesn't that look savage? Like, what? It, 
what is happening here? Like, if you read this super zoomed in, and we just pause the text right there, you zoom in without context, and it's kind of like those of us who've loved Jesus and, and, and have become followers of Jesus, you read that and you go, where's the Jesus I know, and what have you done with him? Right? I mean, here's this woman begging for help, calling him Lord, son of David, and he's like, talk to the hand. Was sent only to the house of Israel. It's not right to take what belongs to the children and throw it to the dogs. What is going on here? That's my point. Zoomed in. This is a text that could easily throw you. We've got to zoom out to figure out what's going on. Let's look at the verses one at a time. Let's look closely and see if we can, we can figure out what to make of this. Matthew 15, go back to 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Okay, he went from there, but from where? Well, Let's get a little context. One way to zoom out on any Bible passage is to look at the context. That means the verses before and after. Matthew 14 has really started a a new uh, direction in Matthew. Now he's heading toward Jerusalem. So in Matthew 14, it opens with Herod's feast, this drunken, terrible feast where John the Baptist ends up murdered. He gets John the Baptist's head on a platter. Jesus needs to withdraw to, to go process that, that grief that his friend and this prophet has now been brutally murdered. And instead of going away to be alone and process, instead the great crowds come. They listen to his, to his teachings. He's still in the Jewish territory, right? He's in the Jewish part of the world. Uh, he's not yet gone to a Gentile territory. And so if, you, if this helps, the Jews sort of divided the world into kind of two groups. There's, there's Jews and then the nations. There's the people of Israel and then kind of everybody else, the Gentiles. So he's still in the Gentile territory. And he does the miracle that's recorded in all four gospels. You know this one? The feeding of the 5,000. That's just 5,000 households. That doesn't count the women and children. And so who knows? Maybe, maybe as many as 20,000 people he feeds. Do you remember? With what? Five loaves of bread and two fish. Wonder bread. Holy mackerel. I, I asked the prayer meeting on Wednesday night if I should tell that joke, and uh, they did not uh, discourage me. So you may blame them. They did not intercede properly on your behalf. A great miracle, right? And so now everybody's seen, and there's 12 baskets left over. They get on the boat, right? Jesus sends them across the side. You remember this? In last week's message, they, uh, uh, Jesus comes walking on the water. Peter walks on the water. That happens in a, a Jewish region. And then, and then, they're hanging out. If you can picture, they're hanging out by the Sea of Galilee. They're up here in Capernaum. A delegation, Matthew 15 opens with a delegation from Jerusalem, the Pharisees and Sadducees. Y'all, the people who should have been the most excited that like, Messiah is obviously here. The ones that should have been the happiest about this, in fact, they come up to investigate and accuse, and it turns hostile and, and, and belligerent, and it's, it's, it's terrible. They come up, and they're, they're looking for anything to accuse Jesus with. They can't find anything to accuse him. So the religious leaders come all the way up from Jerusalem, and they accuse him with, you don't do the proper ceremonial hand washing. Really? You came all the way from Jerusalem to point that out. And Jesus says, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out. And I came to deal with the heart. So all foods are clean. And that ceremonial hand washing, you guys are missing the point. I'm here to deal with the, the heart. And he, he, I mean, really, they had harsh words for each other. So what does he do after that? He withdraws. You would too. I mean, he needs time to process that, right? I mean, you've got guys coming up from Jerusalem. To, if the FBI showed up at your house to investigate and prosecute you, you would need some time to reflect, Right? And so, you would, and so he, where does he go? The Bible says he goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So if you can picture, they came up from Jerusalem. He goes even further north, and now he's entered Gentile territory. Why? Well, several reasons. One, he knows the Pharisees and Sadducees aren't going to bother him up there. 
right? Because they're worried about being ceremonially unclean. There's no way they're going to hang out with a bunch of Gentiles up there. So he knows they're not going to bother him up there. He needs to rest. His disciples need to rest. And he also needs to teach his disciples about his mission. So he's, he's up to something. Well, where does he go? Tyre and Sidon. Now, if you know anything about your Bible history, uh, Tyre and Sidon is, uh, this is the, the region of the Canaanites. Um, historically, uh, in the Old Testament, th- th- these are ancient uh, enemies of Israel, and, and you can see why. There's, um, I mean, th- th- these are the ones who brought Baal worship into Israel. The, 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 ma- the famous femme fatale from the Old Testament, you remember Jezebel? She comes from Tyre. <laughs> okay, this is her hometown. She brings Baal worship, and what happens when you break the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods besides me. What happens when we turn from God and begin worshiping Baal? Well, quite naturally, there's all this economic injustice. There's exploitation. Quite literally, the people of Tyre and Sidon would have taken the bread from the children of Israel through stealing it and economic oppression. There would have been a, a, a sexual exploitation. Ultimately, Baal worship involved child sacrifice. Can you imagine? So th- th- this is the region of the Canaanites This is where Jesus goes, pulls away, and he's going to teach his disciples. So ancient enemies. So when verse 22 happens, and behold, a Canaanite woman, Mark's version tells us uh, a Syrophoenician. She's from the region, the Syrophoenician region. But Matthew wants you to leave no doubt. This is a woman of of the Canaanites. This is the the Baal-worshipping, you know, child-sacrificing, sexually exploitative people. And and behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Then this is a shock even to the disciples. It is difficult to comprehend how charged this scene is. Uh, Just imagine you're watching a movie and they get to that moment when it's so racially charged or ethnically charged in that moment. You cut the tension with a knife. That's that's what this is. Uh, The Greek speakers thought that they were better than the Jews, the Hellenistic world, and, and she's a Greek speaker. The people of the Syrophoenician region, as I said, had economically exploited God's people. She's on top of that, she's a woman, and men and women did not publicly and certainly not brazenly address one another. And she's religiously a Canaanite, and there's a demon in her household. Now you put all that together, and you imagine these disciples who are a little hard-headed, they're a little slow to get it. You can imagine the disciples going, hold up, we're in a Canaanite, godless, pagan area, and you're telling me, oh, what's this? Shocker. There's a person who's demon-possessed. I imagine the disciples looking around going, I'd have been shocked if we found somebody that's not demon-possessed. Of course they are. They've ushered in all all this demonic influence, right? Can't you imagine the sarcasm of the disciples? You know, send her away. Can you imagine? Matthew of all, Matthew's like, hey, this lady shocks me, and I'm Matthew. I was a tax collector. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? So they have no... uh, 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 pity or, or, or compassion. Nonetheless, she comes to Jesus. And look at what she says. Look what she says. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Lord, son of David. This is, this is outrageous. Somehow, from this pagan part of the world, she has somehow put together what the Pharisees totally missed. And quite honestly, sometimes it seems like the disciples don't get it yet. She's saying, I, I see you as the Lord. I see you as the Lord of everything. You're the God of the whole world. And Messiah, son of David, that's a title for Israel's king chosen people of God, but, but somehow she puts together, no, 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 you, that's a title, you're, you're my king, you're my Messiah, son of David. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. So what did Jesus do with this person? She's begging for help. Well, we assume he would do what he always does with this kind of sincere request for help. We figure he'll immediately grant the request. Boom, go, you're good to go. 
Instead, verse 23, that's what makes verse 23 so shocking. He did not answer her a word. Can you imagine? Hmm? Help me, Lord, son of David, have mercy. Talk to the hand. (laughs) Incredible. Jesus has to be up to something. He is. Now, this interaction shows us that Jesus is the master teacher. What a great teacher. I know we have a lot of teachers in this church. The best teachers all have something in common. They can all do this one thing. The best teachers can see something in the student even before the student can see it in themselves. And with great care, they can draw it out of that student. That's what Jesus is able to do with this woman. Teachers also know it's, it's much better than just telling something to someone. It's much better if you can show them. Right, Showing is better than telling, and Jesus is going to do that. He's, he's going to teach the disciples something about his mission, and he knows that showing them will be better than telling them. So he's up to something. Verse 23, the disciples just want to get rid of her. The disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she's crying out after us. I love that. They're like, lady, we can't help you. But Jesus, this lady will not stop. I mean, she's going to wear us out. Just give her what she wants. Just say yes and send her on her way. We know you can do it. You could, just, you could just say the word and she'll be healed. So just give her what she wants and get rid of her. And Jesus answered. Incredible. He answers, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now here's where if you're zoomed in, it's really hard to make sense of this. We've got to zoom out. And you don't have to zoom out far to see this language. Apparently, Jesus has on his heart a laser focus to come to the children of Israel, to to start first with the house of Israel. Like I said, you don't have to zoom out far. Just go back like five chapters to Matthew 10 when he sent the disciples out. Notice he sends them out with a specific laser focus. Matthew 10, 5 is when he sends his disciples out. Here's what he said. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather, here it is, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he's going to limit the announcement of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here. He's going to limit that announcement to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why would he do that? What's going on there? Why would he limit that mission? Is that always his intent? Is his intent that the announcement of the kingdom of God always be limited to the house of Israel? Of course not. Go forward 13 chapters to to Matthew 28, and you know it. He does the same thing he does here. He sends his disciples out, but in Matthew 28, 19, he sends his disciples out, and look what he says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of just the lost sheep of the house of Israel? No. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, so what's going on here? How do we get from Matthew 10.5 to Matthew 28.19? In other words, how do we get from a mission to the lost sheep of Israel to all nations? And where does this woman fit in here? How do we get from my mission is laser focused to the people of Israel to my, nation has, my mission is going global to everyone? What's going on here? What's going on is that Jesus is following exactly God's plan of salvation history. Now, what is God's plan of salvation history? And here, we've got to zoom out as far as we can. We have to zoom out to a point where prose probably fails us. We have to get into poetry. And so I want to quote a Hebrew poet, Isaiah 2. Isaiah 2 has a vision of God's plan of salvation history. If you go back to Isaiah 2, here's what Isaiah the prophet writes. It shall come to pass in the latter days. This is poetry. He's saying there is coming a day, y'all. 
that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above all the hills. And watch this, and all the nations shall flow to it. The ancients saw mountains as holy places because they figured that's kind of the place where heaven met earth. And they're saying not just any mountain, the mountain of Yahweh, the mountain of the Lord. But it's not just for the children of Israel. Uh, Yahweh is not some provincial deity. All the nations are going to flow. And look at verse 3. And many peoples shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. Y'all, Isaiah Jewish prophet is prophesying that there will come a day when people, not just Jews, when people from all nations will want to come and learn from like God's own chosen Messiah. That like from the Jewish people, the Torah will go forth and and they're going to want to come and learn and be a follower of the God of Israel. Not just any God, not a random God, but like the God of the Bible. He's saying the whole world is going to come to that. The whole world is going to flood to that. For out of Zion shall go forth the instruction, the Torah, the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So Isaiah imagines this vision that God is going to do something special in Jerusalem in such a way that it is going to bless the world, bless the nations, bless everybody. Hmm. It's like, it's like, like a conduit. God is not just going to pour his blessing into Israel so that Israel can become a reservoir of the blessing. God is going to pour his blessing into Israel so that they can be a conduit to bless the nations. That's what Isaiah imagines. It's like he's looking at Israel going, I'm not just going to do my blessing to you, but pour my blessing through you. And I'm going to do that to Israel for the sake of the world. And look at, look at, how, look at how the poem ends. Verse 4, he shall judge between the nations and decide disputes for many peoples. It's like there's going to be like, like peace. And e- Listen, even if you have friends that don't believe in God or even if you have friends that they don't come to church, they don't, they don't know the things of God, they still long for this. They still want what Isaiah imagines, a world where there's fairness. Look, there's justice. And, and, and look, look at the violence. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Neither shall, nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Y'all, Isaiah's imagining a day. Can you imagine where all the swords and spears get melted down into pruning hooks and plowshares. What do swords and spears do? Those are weapons of war for the killing of human life. What are pruning hooks and plow? What are they? They're for harvesting food, for the, for the feeding of human life, for the thriving and prospering of human life. Can you imagine a day? I mean, don't you long for that day? Nation will no longer strive against nation. Family won't strive against family. And there will come a day when God is fully and forever enthroned as king. Isaiah imagines a day where you take all the stockpiles of the weapons of war. A modern day illustration of this would be take every, can you imagine a day when every army, when every AK-47 of every militia is melted down and turned into pinball machines and pontoon boats. (laughs) Stuff designed that's not take human life, but for thriving See, won't that be a day? Isaiah imagines this. When the Lord reigns, there's nothing missing. There's nothing broken. It's shalom. So in in the most macro way possible, I'm trying to show you, God wants what he's always wanted, a redeemed people gathered from every nation, prospering and thriving and living under his blessing, and he will dwell among us. The whole story of the Bible tells us that's what God is after, to dwell with a redeemed people on a good earth forever. I say it to him, blue in the face. Heaven is not some ethereal, 
uh, cloud where we float off to a cloud to some spirit world. No, God wants a new heaven, new earth, see, for all eternity, and you'll have a resurrected, glorified body, and he will dwell among his people. That's what he wants, a redeemed people in a good new heaven, new earth where he can dwell among his people. And to accomplish this, what's he, how's he going to do it? To accomplish this, he's going to take one group of people, he's going to take one family, and he's going to teach them his ways, teach them his laws, provide for them. And he says through this one family is how he's going to do it as a conduit to bless the world. Now, do you remember, do you remember the one family he picked? How's he going to do it, right? He's got all the nations, and how did Adam and Eve do? All, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? How, how did they do? Well, not great. Kicked out of the garden, right? So, so then and there's a flood. You remember, right? So, so, so has God given up on his plan? No. He's going to take one family, and through this family, he's going to bless the world. Do, do, do you remember the family he picked? He, who was the patriarch? Who was the father of many nations? Remember? Father. This is a VBS joke. Some of you get it. Some of you don't. Father Abraham, right, had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, right? I can show you the exact moment where God picks Abraham. Go to Genesis 12.1. And the Lord, remember this? Now the Lord said to Abram, this is before he got his name changed by God to Abraham, means father of many nations. The Lord said to Abram, Abram and his wife can't have kids. She's barren. They're, they're, they're very old. And the Lord said, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I'll show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And Abraham said, excuse me? <laughs> you know? His wife says, what did he say? He says, I'm 100, but I better put together a crib from Ikea, honey. I don't, I, I don't know how this is going to work. Yeah, I'm going to make you a great nation. And I will bless you. Now, remember, he doesn't have any kids at this point. I will bless you and make your name great. A few chapters later, in chapter 15, God takes Abraham up to a high mountain. He says, look, you see all those stars of the sky? I'm going to give you more descendants than the stars of the sky if you can count them. He said, how many is that, God? God says, that's a lot. Abraham says, no, that's my nephew. He's like, no, 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 no I'm talking. It's a different. I'm making sure everybody's with me. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you and make your name great. Through Everybody watch this. Through you, through you. Why am I going to bless you, Abraham. Why am I going to pour out all this blessing onto you? What am I doing in the salvation history of the world? I am going to bless you, Abraham, and make your name great. Why? So that Abraham can hold it all to himself? No, I'm going to do all this. Why? So that you will be a blessing. You are going to be a conduit of my blessing to the world. It's not just like, well, lucky Abraham. It'd be nice if you were a, a, a child of Abraham. No, I'm, I, I'm going to do this so that you can, ha you can be the father of many nations. Through your seed, I'm going to bless the world. He says in verse 3, in case you missed it, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay. He's like, is this, is this Bible geek stuff? I mean, you, you seem really passionate about this. Why is this so important? You're talking about, you're talking about how God is going to bless the world through Israel, but then you said God's going to bless through Abraham. What's the connection from Abraham to Israel? Remember your history. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob gets his name changed when he wrestles with God. You remember this? He gets his name changed to Israel. Jacob, or Israel, Israel, Jacob, same guy, has 12 sons. That's why we call them the 12 tribes of Israel, right? So God takes one of those sons, one of that tribe, and not only are they within Abraham's promise, he takes one and he says, now, let's narrow it down even further. I am going to take one tribe and I am going to bless, the, I'm going to bring a king, a Messiah, an anointed king, a Messiah type 
uh, king, that's what, that's what anointed one means, we get the Hebrew word Messiah, I'm going to bring that anointed one through this line. Now, let me ask you, let's back up. So Abraham's job, the children of Israel, Abraham is to bring the blessing of the nations to the world. How'd they do? Not great. <laughs> right? We look back at the Old Testament and we realize not only did they not bring the covenant blessings of God to the world, they had trouble even keeping covenant obedience to God like themselves. Right? So they had a hard time doing it themselves, much less passing on to the rest of the world. Well, so, okay, well, well, let's see how he does with this one from Judah. And sure enough, there is a king, and he's the most famous king in Israel's history, and his name was King David, because the Messiah's gonna come from the line of Judah, right? That, that, that particular tribe of Israel. David comes, and David was a good king for, like, let me, well, let me ask that. Uh, so we know how Abraham's children did. How did David do? Yeah, you might say he had a good run, uh, with a nasty ending, right? I mean, it's, it's like, why? So it's like Abraham's children couldn't get it right and couldn't bring this peace and blessing to the nations. And David couldn't bring this peace and blessing to the nations because they were humans like everyone else, you know? They messed up like everybody else. So it's like, by the time you get to the end of the Old Testament, you're like, you know, <laughs> no pressure, Israel, but, but we kind of need you to be the one to bring the blessing of God to the world. And so by the time you're, you're watching all these prophets going, guys, even Isaiah is saying, there, it's out there, there's coming a day. But you're looking going, how is this going to happen? And you've seen Abraham not able to do it. You've seen David not able to do it. So by the time you get to the end of the Old Testament, you're in Malachi, and then there's a, a blank piece of paper in your Bible between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You're tempted to give up. You say, is it, is it ever going to happen? How is the blessing of God, which is supposed to come through the house of Israel and then to the nations, how is that going to happen? It seems like it's never going to happen. And then in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the, the New Testament opens with these words. Do you remember? Of all the ways they could introduce the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. This verse is telling us he's here. He is the true seed of Abraham that God promised way back in Genesis 12. He is the true fulfillment of the prophecy that through the line of David in 2 Samuel, there'll always be a king on the throne from the line of David. It's Jesus, because what, what no human could do, the God-man could do. Jesus was all God and all man, and when he came, he came to do what we could not do. This teaches us God has not given up on his plan, and that's why when Jesus comes, he starts first with the house of Israel. That's all part of God's plan. He's announcing the kingdom of God to the children of Israel. It's almost like you might say judgment has to begin in the house of God. Then the good news can go out to the ends of the earth. I thought of an analogy that may help. It's not perfect, but a crude analogy. Um, uh, what, what, what is Jesus doing by going first to Israel and then to the nations? Have you ever been um, on an airplane and you're watching them do the safety demonstration? whether you watch it on video or whether you watch a flight attendant actually do it live, there's always this moment at the end, especially the ones on video, I always laugh, where they're like, now, in the case of low pressure, no big deal, oxygen mask are gonna fall from the ceiling, and you're just gonna calm, calmly as can be, put that oxygen mask on. And I'm watching the video, and the guy's like reading his paper, oxygen mask, and he's like, oh, you know, and he takes it. I'm like... I would lose my mind if I saw the oxygen mask. And yet, you know, they're acting like it's no big deal. Well, anyway, because they know that it's very possible that you would lose your mind in that moment and panic, and because they know that it is a parent's heart 
to, well, a mom's heart, to help the children <laughs> before, right, um, they give you this warning. Now, have you heard this warning? It's, please secure your own mask before assisting others. And they give you that warning because they know you'll be tempted to get everybody else taken care of. And then, and their point is, while your heart may be in the right place, there's a problem with that. Because if you pass out, it will do no one any good if you're passed out from a lack of oxygen. So you, like, you get the oxygen mask on and then secure the mask of others. In a weird way, I, I kind of think the disciples aren't getting it, but it's like the mission of God. God is saying, judgment needs to begin in the house of God then we can move on. We've, we've got to get the house of Israel. That's why Jesus cleans out the temple. He's saying, you've got to put your oxygen mask on first. Well, based on the disciples and the way they react to people, you'd almost think the disciples think it's like, let, let me see if I understand this straight. God want, they've forgotten that God blesses Israel to be a blessing to the world. It's like the disciples are like, well, uh, uh, let me see, so I put on my own, I mean, if I could give this example to the disciples and if the disciples knew about airplanes, and there's a lot of ifs, but if I shared with them this analogy, I think some of the disciples, like Simon the Zealot, would, would say, well, no, what, I, what I'm thinking is when it comes to the pagan Gentile enemies, I put on my own oxygen mask so I can better watch them die. Like, right? uh, they're not getting it at all, but Jesus has a mission to the world that's coming through Israel. So now, Let's tie it all back together. Let's zoom back into the story. Zoom back in with this Canaanite woman. Verse 24 of Matthew 15. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus knows the woman is desperate for help, but he also knows the disciples are in desperate need of a lesson. They need to learn the point of Jesus' mission. So he's got this woman in desperate need of help, and he's got the disciples, and he realizes he can accomplish two things at once, but he can only do it if he draws it out of this woman. And that's how the rabbis taught. They didn't do what I'm doing. Just lecturing and pouring out the, no, 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 question, answer, respond, challenge. And so it's not uncommon. That's how a rabbi would engage. So what looks somewhat rude to us is not at all. This is method of teaching. He's drawing it out of the woman, and he's doing it in front of all the disciples so that they will learn the lesson they need to learn. I don't think they care much because when he says, I was sent only to the house of Israel, any disciple could have said, oh, yeah? What about a few chapters ago when you healed the Roman soldier's servant? Could have said that. Any disciple could have said, I do recall a garrison demoniac, and you put those demons in the pigs, and the pigs flew off the cliff. They didn't forget that, but they didn't stand up for this woman. They didn't point out any of that. I don't think they care. But she, she will not give up. She came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And I think when he said that, I think he said it with a twinkle in his eye, and I think he looked at the disciples when he said it, not at her because he's teaching them. He knows that's what they're thinking. In fact, a common slur would be for the Gentile people to call them dogs. Now, does Jesus call this woman a dog? No, not technically. He's giving a parable. He's saying you don't, that, that's not how it works in a family. You don't take the food for the kids and give it to the dogs. He technically uses the diminutive, puppies, you know, house pets. In Mark's version, he basically says the same thing, and I think he tips her off. I think he absolutely knows what he's doing, and he knows the faith that's in this woman. He just needs to draw it out for all the disciples to see. And in Mark's version, he says, see, he leaves a little, a little window, a little crack. He doesn't say, no, you'll never get it. He says, it's not right to take the children's bread. Mark's version says, let the children be fed first, and then give the crumbs to the dogs, right? Let the children be fed first. And I imagine when that woman heard that, when it heard first, it's like, that's the crack I need. There's hope. It's like she leans in and says, so you're saying there's a chance. 
Huh? She knows. She knows exactly what you and I know, right? Wait a minute. She says, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, 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 so it's not right to take the children's bread and to take the, the, what belongs to the children and throw it to the dogs. But I know what all of you know. You dog owners know this. You know this. You know. Through a barbecue this week. Had a barbecue. It's a lot of fun. For no other reason than just to celebrate the summer and thunderstorms. And, and uh, we have a dog. I don't talk much about my dog in these sermons, but, but we have a dog. It's a golden retriever. She was born during the International Mission Board's week of prayer. The dog's name is Lottie. That dog is Baptist to the bone. She's the most Baptist dog you ever met, okay? And we had this barbecue. And Lottie, I mean, from the minute I put the charcoal on the grill, Lottie knew how this story was going to end. Now, Lottie's got her own food. Lottie's going to be taken care of most days, if we remember. I mean, Lottie, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Right? Of course. Anybody in here, you all know how this story's going to end. Lottie waited patiently. Lottie's just sitting there. She's watching me grill. She's just getting happier and happier. She's, right? She's not mad. She's not mad. She wasn't invited to the barbecue. She's not mad. She's not a human. She's never like, I wish I was a biped. Then I could go to, no! She's happy living quadruped life. She's sitting there. She's so happy. And everybody, everybody, everybody in here knows how the story ends. I, we have a wonderful time. We had a lovely evening. The rain parted and allowed us to have a wonderful time. And at the end, after everybody, the guests had left, there was a big plate. Come on. Everybody in here knows what I did. Here's what I did not do. I did not, at the beginning of the barbecue, lay out all those hamburgers and hot dogs on the big spread and say, everyone gather before we have the blessing. Lottie, get up here and tear into this, right? Humans, you may have what remains, right? No, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But this woman knows what all of us know. After all the guests had left, what do you think I did? Lottie's just sitting there like, it's Lottie time. Huh? I take that big old juicy hot dog, maybe two, <laughs> and I give it to that dog. Why? Because Lottie's saying a crumb from human barbecue is all I need. Don't you see? Oh, this woman's faith. So when she said, when Jesus says it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, it is a layup. For her, because he knows what's in her heart. She's already called him Lord, son of David. He can't even get his followers to have that kind of faith. And so he knows, that's why I say he says this with a wink and a smile. He says this while looking at the disciples, going, Is anybody getting this? And he just lays it up. I mean, just knowing she is about to knock it out of the park right in front of all these hard headed disciples. And she does. She does. When Jesus puts that big watermelon softball pitch right down the plate, she knows exactly where he's going and she answers, she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus is like, got a girl. Right? Look what he says. And he answered, oh, woman. The O is in the Greek. I looked. Oh, woman. You just imagine him smiling from ear to ear, like looking at his disciples going, huh, huh, she gets it, Right? Demon lady is a lot closer than you guys, right? Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. You know the word for great is your faith. You know more Greek than you think. Great is your faith. The Greek word for great, you use it all the time. It's mega. He looks at her and goes, you got mega trust. You got mega faith. 
Contrast that with the Pharisees. They've got no faith. They should have had mega faith. They got no faith. And the disciples, how'd Peter do? What did he just tell Peter a few chapters ago? Oh, you of little faith. But he says about this woman something he never said about anybody else. Closest you can come to, he said about a Gentile uh, uh, Roman centurion. Uh, but he says, oh, woman, you got mega faith. Oh, great is your trust. Well, she knows. She knows who Jesus is. Do you? She knows that what she's saying is, I know who you are, Lord. Just give me the crumbs from God. A crumb from God's table is better than a full meal anywhere else. And some of you know that to be true, don't you? He said, I just need a crumb. That's how much faith. God, all I need from you, I'm begging you. Now, when that starts to make sense of the whole meta-narrative of God, doesn't it? I mean, it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait, we're not mad that we weren't born ethnically Jewish. This blessing flows through the Jews. That's why Jesus was born a Jew. And now, he, look, he's, he's blessing the nations through that blessing of that family. When Abraham, 6,000 years ago, Abraham looks up at the stars and sees all those stars. Has it ever occurred to you that one of those stars, O oh, believer of Jesus, was for you? That you can say as an ethnic Canaanite virtually, as a, as, as a Gentile, you can say, I'm a child of Abraham. I'm written into this promise all because of Jesus. It's absolutely incredible. It makes sense, too, why, go back to my analogy of my dog. Lottie is not mad at barbecues. Lottie loves barbecues. Lottie's like, I wish you would have a barbecue like, like multiple times a day. Because I'm realizing, like, all that blessing is just going to flow to me. You see? That's what this, this woman is saying. And that's why Paul, in the New Testament, that's why Paul writes in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of salvation unto all who believe, for the Jew first and then the Gentile. It starts to make sense. Well, okay, that's how all this Bible story fits together. That's how Old Testament, New Testament, it was God's plan all along to bless the world through his chosen people, Israel. Incredible. Well, it's very, you don't have to zoom out very far where you start to see this. In fact, even in this story, and I'll, I'll close. I'll give you a little application from uh, the life of this woman, but I'll, I'll bring it to a close. I, I don't want to make too much of this, but I do think even the structure of this text, Matthew 14 and 15, fascinating. Jesus feeds the 5,000 in Jewish territory. Stay with me. He feeds the 5,000 in Jewish territory. Then he heals a bunch of people in Jewish territory. Then comes the opposition from the Jerusalem leaders in Matthew 15. Then he goes to Gentile territory. He heals this woman. Then this heals a bunch of people in Gentile territory. And the book ends, I mean, I mean the chapter ends, the little book ends of this story. He heals, uh, he feeds 4,000 people, very similar miracle, in Gentile territory. Now, I don't want to lose anybody here, but, but just can I test your biblical trivia just for a second? Uh, are you with me? Um, uh, do you remember how the Bible says all ate and were satisfied at the feeding of the 5,000? And he goes all the way through the Jewish stuff. Then he comes back to the Gentile territory, and we get to the feeding of the 4,000. Are you ever shocked why the disciples? It's almost the same miracle. Does anybody ever read the Bible, and the disciples are like, Jesus, send these people home. Where are we going to get food for all these people, right? And Jesus says, why don't you feed them? And they're like, us feed them. How could we ever feed 4,000 people? You're reading that, and don't you want to be like, Deja vu, guys, you literally just saw this. Like, you just saw he took five loaves of bread and two fish. So then they come and they're like, well, we've only got a few loaves of bread and two fish. How could we feed everybody from that? And you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, he literally just did that. 
Why, why the confusion? I'll tell you the confusion. Because they knew he could do it in the land of the Jewish people. He didn't know he had the same power among the Gentiles. And that's why they're, they're floored. And when they do it, do you remember? I don't want to make too much of this, but I don't want to make too little. Do you remember how all eight were satisfied? All eight were satisfied. See? Everybody gets the bread. So how many baskets were left over when Jesus fed the 5,000? Do you remember the first miracle? How many baskets did they collect? This is Bible trivia time. How many baskets were collected after the feeding of the 5,000? Somebody got it. I heard it. Twelve. That's right. Could it be that when he did that miracle in the Jewish territory, there were 12 baskets left over, as if to say, one for each tribe of Israel. But when he fed the 4,000 in the Gentile mission to the nations, how many baskets were left over? Seven. Now, in Bible times, we would, the number of completion, perfection, everything, we would say like 10 or 100, they would use seven. Isn't it something that when the mission to the Gentiles comes, the baskets left over, seven, everybody, the world, complete the mission to the Gentiles, to the nations. Brandon's going to come and, you know, if you're, look, if you're a note taker, I kind of left you hanging today, sorry. Uh, you know, if you want little lists, I would say this, when it, when it, when it comes to application, guys, come persistent, come persistent. Look, look at the way this woman prayed. You know, she's got this woman at home and, and demon-possessed. She's cried out to Baal. Baal couldn't heal her. She's cried out to Asherah. Asherah couldn't heal. In fact, crying out to those pagan gods is probably how the, they didn't heal the demons. They probably caused the demons, but she was persistent. Uh, let, let me say it this way. That little girl, I mean, can you imagine? I, I know she's a Canaanite woman, and I know she's got all these issues, but she's still a mom who loves her kid. And when she looks into the eyes of that kid, she sees that, those wild eyes. They don't even recognize her. No telling what was going on in this poor girl. It's funny, she's hardly mentioned in the story. She's the main beneficiary of the miracle. Hardly mentioned. You talk about hopeless. So you're in a Canaanite part of the world, and you've got a demon-possessed daughter. She was hopeless and desperate. I love what J.C. Ryle says about this little girl. As hopeless and desperate as her situation was, she was without hope, except she had one hope. She had a praying mama. ponder that for a second her only hope in the world was that she had a mama that was going to wear Jesus and those disciples out and would not take no for an answer come persistent don't give up pray and don't give up Matthew's full of stories of people that wouldn't let anything keep them from their faith remember the story of the four friends who ripped a hole in the roof because they couldn't get to Jesus he rewards that kind of faith come humbly you know she could have said don't call you're going to call me a dog you can go back to Gennesaret. I'm going to stay here. And, no, no, no. She was humble. She was humble. She engaged Jesus. Maybe God is doing something. And come believing. Come believing. This woman somehow had the ability to see that there is a future kingdom. This is incredible. It's almost like she was able to say, I know one day, Jesus, your ministry is going to be the Gentiles. And I know you say you're only for the lost sheep of Israel, but here you are in front of me right now. So I'll tell you what, Jesus. Can we get some of that future kingdom goodness where you're blessing all the nations? Can we get some of that future kingdom goodness? And can we bring that forward to right now? Do you pray with that kind of faith? That's still our job today. Here we are all these years later. Y'all, there is coming a kingdom. And in the kingdom of God, there's no more pain, no more tears. Hey, Christians, do you have a Christian friend and you got beef? You got issues? Hmm? You're, you're, you're at odds with somebody? Can I tell you something? For all eternity in new heaven, new earth, you two are going to be just fine. 
That's the power of what God promises in Isaiah 2. So let me, let, me, let me tell you, can we get some of that being just fine kingdom power and pull it into today? There won't be any sexual exploitation. I know human trafficking is a big topic right now. There will be none of that in the kingdom of God. Can we get some of that power and some of that sexual integrity brought from the future to today? In relationships, in your marriage. It's like God is going to work all those things out. So can we get some of that power? And that, That's what we pray. Oh, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done today, now. Because we know it's coming in fullness one day. That's what, it, that's what I mean by pray, believing. Pray, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done even now to bring some of that future kingdom glory and power and bring it forward to today by faith. That's what that woman somehow did. And God blessed her and rewarded her. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask that we would be able to zoom out far enough to see that you love the world and you sent your only begotten son to die for the world. And God, thank you for the, for the particularity, for coming in the person of Jesus as a seed of Abraham in the line of David to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. God, I pray if anybody feels far from you today, today would be the day you draw them close. Let them feel and sense and hear and know your good news, forgiveness, salvation, that you are alive. And God, I pray for anybody that, that doesn't know you. Today would be the day of salvation for them. God, do what only you can do in our midst as we open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet for the invitation? The invitation's meant to be just that. If you need to come and kneel and pray, you pray at the altar. You want to pray with Pastor Scott. You want to set up a time to meet. You do as God leads.